Welcome to the Creativity Cafe for the creatively adventurous and the relentlessly curious. We have inspiring conversations with creative women from all over the world. I'm Paige Baldwinando, and I'm a creativity coach who helps people maximize their creative potential. And I'm also a writer. And I'm Jordana Matsuda. I'm an illustrator on my creative journey with Paige helping me along the way. We're both long-term residents of Japan, a country bursting with creative energy that inspires us every day. So go grab a cup of tea and join us in discovering new creative landscapes here on the Creativity Cafe. Hello, Jordana. Hi, Paige. Okay, so let's talk about social media. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Twisting <laughs> it. Specifically Instagram, because that is where, um, that's my main social media at this point. Would you say it's yours? Yes, definitely. I basically only use Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's your relationship like with Instagram? It's it's mixed isn't it and it changes day to day but I think overall I I love to check other people's work and see what other people are doing and I love to find out new things on Instagram um, mm-hmm. and keep in touch with people and you know all the things we usually use social media for um, but because there is a certain business element to it I guess I struggle with overthinking about mm-hmm. what I'm putting on there, what message it's sending. Um, mm-hmm. Is it a true representation? Does it need to be a true representation? Um, right. Should I just put anything? It doesn't really matter. You're just overthinking it, Joe. Like I'm overthinking my overthinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spiral. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and I know some people don't have that. They're quite clear about they, what they want to do with it. And, um, that kind of thing but I think when when we use our social media as a part of business plus a part of our work plus a part of who we are yeah um you know it can be difficult to feel that you're properly representing those parts yeah of what you do in the world right and we're also much more multifaceted than we could possibly represent Mm. on a social media profile and it just feels almost um inevitably minimizing in some way right of our of our completeness of our wholeness there's no way instagram can capture all of who you are all of who i am or all of who anybody is right yeah and so for some of us i think there's like a little bit of a catch of a sticking point there you know, with, with that element of like, so what do I want to present of myself or of my work? And, and then there can come the point of like, you know, how, how perfect to make it, how do mm. I want it to look? You know, what if I make something for Instagram and it doesn't match what my vision up for it was. And, you know, it's almost this whole other mode of um, creation and making to overthink (laughs) yes yes, exactly exactly yeah how about you how do you oh sorry no go ahead so how do you manage that how do you feel about your social media and and what you're doing on there you know it's interesting I had a very different relationship to it for several years so you know and I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the podcast before 
Um, but I have I had a very complex relationship to being seen publicly, like letting myself be seen, allowing myself to be viewed and perceived by strangers online. Mm -hmm. You know, that was very difficult for me. And I had to go through actually many years of, of inner work <laughs> to get to the point where I could do it at all. And so my first couple of years of my Instagram account that I currently have, um, I was very uh, almost perfectionistic about it. I had a certain way that I was doing it. I wanted it to look a certain way. I wanted it to uh, represent things that were me, but also kind of a shield. You know, mm. I was very shy about showing my face. I didn't really want to, did not enjoy it. <laughs> you know? And then I think in the spring of this year, maybe March or April, um, I saw a post by someone and I actually can't remember who it was now, but it was something about um, like whether or not you're being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Like aligned, essentially. Mm -hmm. Are you aligned with who you say you are, who you actually are and who you say you are in your social media? Are those things aligned? Because if they're not, people can tell, mm. feel it. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> they saw like, me someone someone yeah, saw my yeah. weak spot <laughs> like I'm, I'm not being who I who I actually am and and who I say I am who I would like to show myself as being I'm not being that on social media and so I started to I just decided I'm mean, gonna like just mess it up like I've been so perfectionistic I just want to mess it up and so I did that and I started uh, posting a lot more freely. I decided I would stop editing. Like, you know, it used to be that if I would make a reel, I would film it again and again. If I made a mistake, I would go back and film it again. Um, of myself talking, for example, I decided to stop doing that. I just, it was a kind of fuck it mentality. I'm going to yeah. do whatever, you know, I'm just going to do whatever. And I'll tell you what, it has been incredibly liberating and incredibly fun, like way more fun. Now, yeah. I still do feel like, you know, a lot of the same sticking points, though. And you <laughs> it do. It didn't go away. But it is easier for me when once I decided, like, I don't actually have to care that much if people like me or not, if people are seeing me the way I want to be seen or not, if I care a little less it's easier for me, you know, it's not easy, but it's easier. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it has also meant that I've been able to connect with more people. And that is what I like. I care about community. I care about connection. Um, and I do care about being seen for who I am, you know, like letting people see me as I am. Um, it matters to me in a way that, uh, I could only get to once I worked through a lot of my own inner stuff about being seen and the fear of being seen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think when um, when we when we see people and we hear from them and when we start to build that connection, that's when our curiosity, I think, about that person starts to go up, doesn't it? We're like, oh, okay they have this to say and oh you know you want to find out more once you've had you know that little bit of experience yes. to find out about them you want to find out more and I think that it's about stories isn't it like we often say it comes back to stories like what is your story what story are you telling like 
we're all curious about stories that's a part of human nature and I think social media there are various ways to do that mm -hmm. visually um, and I think if through videos that's another way to I think in a more in a quicker way to let people know who you are and what your story is and what you're about mm -hmm. um, yeah it's a very quick way isn't it that people yeah. can yeah Yeah. And I think there's also like, you're so right about story. Like, I think mm. it really matters to share those things. And I think it also really matters to share that we're a person. Yeah. Like I'm not a business and you're not a business. Mm. Like, we're just human beings bumbling through life. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> having our little foibles and having our imperfections and, and living and, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like when I really connect with people on social media, it's often because I see them as, as a whole human being. Yeah. 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 You know, if something looks so sleek and perfect, it's harder for me to connect mm. to that. I think, you know, we've got, I, I, I should I speak for myself. I think I've gone past the stage where I feel like, you know, I'm being, it's so obvious now that I'm being sold something yes <laughs> yes um and it's you know that we all use social media in different for different things in different ways and there's you know different you know, sometimes I'm on there to learn about things you know I am yeah. there I want to find out a recipe I want to find out about you know menopause I want to find out about what it have whatever whatever it is mm -hmm. and there's other times that you know you're just there for the, the for pleasure of it and yeah. to then feel like you're being sold things you just it just it drains doesn't it? it drains um and I think bringing authenticity to who you to your work or what you're presenting online mm. people really want to I know I want to see that I shouldn't say people <laughs> I want to see that and I like you say yeah. whatever you're doing you know if there's mistakes or if the you know it's, it's not have to be polished because that's all none of us are you know mm -hmm. in our natural states <laughs> like that so yeah. um enough I've, I just can't be doing with the kind of fakey um highly you know polished stuff myself yeah. anyway yeah. yeah no definitely yeah. yeah and our guest today we had a really interesting conversation with her about you know complexity mm. the complexity of who we are as people and artists and how we represent ourselves on social media among many other very interesting things this conversation took us to a lot of super uh interesting places I yeah think. yeah our discussion with Melissa was so interesting she works in various mediums and she has not only is her work prolific but the things the messages she wants to convey hey with sustainability mm -hmm. and what have you it's it's very interesting to learn more about her that's for sure hey Yes, definitely. I think we could have spoken to Melissa for hours and yes, still kind of yeah. touch the surface of all of the complexity that she brings, both in what she wants to share thematically and also, yeah, what she's doing in terms of the many media she works in. Mm. So, yeah, I'm excited for everyone to hear this conversation with Melissa. Having been born and raised in rural Ohio in the United States, Melissa Finkenbeiner has now lived and created art in the U.S., Myanmar, Armenia, Zimbabwe, and Japan. As a cross-disciplined fine artist and metalsmith, all of Melissa's work is linked by recycled and sustainable materials with earthy elements. 
In her work as a metalsmith, she repurposes vintage silver and copper or uses recycled materials, including brass. In other works, Melissa uses a variety of materials, sometimes combining ink with plant-based acrylic, undiluted watercolor, Conte, and pastels. Most notably, she uses discarded surfaces from glass bottles to tree bark, or sustainable papers made from bamboo and recycled pulp. Sustainable practices are at the heart of her process and her packaging. Over the past 12 years, Melissa has had 21 gallery exhibitions, including her 2023 solo show, Elements of Nature Between Skyscrapers in Ginza, Tokyo. In 2019, the U.S. State Department's Art and Embassies program purchased three of her mixed media portraits for the U.S. Embassy in Harare's in Zimbabwe. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to talk to you. You've got such prolific work there. I'm excited to find out more about it all. <laughs> but yeah. we always ask our guests the same question to start off with because it's always very revealing. Um, Melissa, can you tell us what's your first memory of doing something creative? So there's two that still stick very strongly in my head. Um, I couldn't really tell you timelines. I think maybe this one was first and I'll tell the second one as well because they're both, I think, impactful since they've stuck in my head. Um, so one was um, as a child, my parents uh, would go to church actually three times a week, including an evening service in the middle of the week. And so we had to be in the kind of main sanctuary with our parents. And so as a small child, I was still allowed to do other activities, but I had to physically be present. So I had this lined notebook and I loved My Little Ponies. And so I would make my own My Little Ponies up with kind of the little picture on their bum, like balloons, and then put them in a setting like the circus. And I'd essentially make up my own My Little Ponies. Um, So I think that's probably one of my earliest. But then another one that sticks in my head was I had this little plush uh, puppy. I think it was even like maybe Precious Moments, like little gray puppy dog. So I remember specifically sitting on my grandmother's living room floor, drawing this little puppy. And I remember her saying to me, oh, you're an artist. And I think that is the moment that stuck Mm -hmm. in my head and made me want to become an artist. Wow. Wow. It's amazing how just a few words of encouragement can really stay with us that way. And recognition, not just encouragement, right? Recognition of your of you yeah and even i i lost my grandmother earlier this year um but i still remember like funny things like uh one of the last times i was visiting back home and she said to me oh melissa you make such beautiful things and then she turns to my sister who's a very successful pharmacist with a doctorate who's pregnant at the time and says, and you make beautiful babies. And we laughed (laughs) because we're like, only grandma can say that and you can't be insulted. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. It's okay. Mm. It's part of the life cycle. And she lived a very long life and had her mental facilities, faculties with her up until the end. Um, So yeah, it was, it was actually kind of nice because I actually went, was going back for what should have been her birthday. And Mm. um, then things were going downhill fast. I moved up my flight by a few days and got off the plane, went straight there. She did her last rites. Um, I said goodbye and she died. So she waited for me. Yeah. 
you know, my grandmother waited for me too. When I was, I was 20 something when she died and she, she waited for, I was living on the other coast and she waited for me to be back. And I just feel <laughs> with you, you know, how special that is. It's really, it's really significant. And I'm so glad you were there with her. I bet that meant a lot to her. Yeah. It's, it's just nice yeah. for those goodbyes. And, you know, instead of celebrating her birthday with her um she actually died on my grandfather's birthday which was very close mm -hmm. to her own mm -hmm. and um it, it actually was really good because i was able to be there in the end for my mom and help her and kind of have something really to do and kind of use my like really hardcore organization skills to kind of help get things sorted for the the funeral and all of those kind of things that went around it so in the end i think it actually was better the way it kind of played out the way it did yeah I'm glad you were able to be there for all of yeah. that it means a lot and I know that from our own private conversations that a lot of your work has some significance to you in terms of geography and family so I'm curious um, if you'll tell us a bit more about your path towards where you are today as an artist and the significance uh, that those things take in your work yeah so tying back to that most of my art these days really is about these countries we live in. Um, so as you were talking about my bio and the places we've lived in these diverse places around the world, so for instance, now in Japan, all of my art is like reflective of these things and experiences here in Japan. Um, and after our very first time living overseas, which was in Myanmar in from 2011 to 2014, I had previously pulled these windows out of my late grandfather's barn before we had moved overseas. And my grandma was holding them for me in her barn at their current property. And so I decided I want to do something with one window every time we went back. Is this idea of, well, if everything's about these countries we live in, I want something that kind of connects to my roots for these little brief visits every couple of years. So every time I go back, I etch and ink one of these windows. So that's actually where the idea for glass etching and inking came out of was trying to figure out what to do to put art into the window itself. Because I was having a conversation with my husband and like about me putting a, a painting behind and he's like, well, it'd be really cool if you could somehow like put it like in the glass. And mm. so I did an experiment on a dressing bottle, which I still have, and realized I could use the same inking technique used in intaglio printmaking to ink the glass etchings. So that's where that started. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, so everything else has been more about these places we've lived and kind of what's most impactful at the time. Um, when we were in Myanmar, I was still doing these really large oil paintings. I, I came out of university and thought I need to be an oil painter. Like somehow that was a serious artist. And I was always pushing to do oil paints in these large scale and inspired by Caravaggio and stuff, but I can't paint like Caravaggio and that's not me. Um, but anyhow, I was doing these pieces and, you know, they were around, figures with bald heads and I was focusing in on like the monks and the nuns and these sorts of things as well and then I also happened to have a little sketchbook of mulberry paper um, that I would go and do these just ink drawings just every time I was sitting or had this downtime of people and the architecture within Yangon and when I was organizing my first solo show my friend Pierre Wei who I did the first show with 
he actually was saying, he's like, actually, why don't you include these ink drawings? I really like these. And that became actually the most popular was these very kind of more raw, authentic, very intimate, small ink drawings um, struck with people more than these large kind of very symbolic oil pieces. Mm. Um, then when we moved to Armenia, I still did a couple of the oil paintings, a couple of those ink drawings. Uh, but then I actually started doing a lot more experimentation. So my friend Hype, um, he had an old house in this little tiny district kind of sandwiched in the middle of the city, not a super modern city, but still it felt kind of out of place, like this unchanged little town. And you could literally see the skyscrapers from these old little buildings. So I was given three of his windows um, that we went and took out of his old house. And I etched those Gumri uh, um, etchings on there with that kind of contrast of time. I did the wine bottle piece. I did the cardboard piece with the um, uh, hype pop-up gallery, which was really pushing kind of a lot more of the modern art. I did my inked exhibition and I was able to just start doing these kind of more stretching my fingers. So that's where I kind of fell into the sustainability thing was more like I found these surfaces interesting. I didn't mm -hmm. start with them because I was trying to be eco. I started with them because I found them interesting to kind of use something unique. And then as I continued to work and change my lifestyle, I started leaning more towards the sustainable side and like, you know, what becomes of all this rubbish that we have in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, yeah. So but really quickly, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but learned the yeah. basics of metalsmithing when I left Armenia. Um, two weeks before I left, my friend said, I found someone to teach us. So I was like, I have two weeks, teach me what you can. <laughs> um, <laughs> continued self-taught in Zimbabwe, which was a great space for that because um, even I said to my friend last night, I was looking at a pair of my old Monstera earrings she was wearing. I was like, oh gosh, I've come such a long way. But in Zimbabwe, I could keep my price points and my materials very kind of low and the, more attainable for a lot of the local environment. Um, whereas here, my stuff is maybe a little more refined these days. Mm. Um, and then I also then continued, um, on this path of kind of ego with the glass etchings and stuff. Um, I had started the illuminated bottles in Armenia, continued to those in Zimbabwe, but with the thatched roofs. And Mapepa, who Mapepa means paper in uh, one of the local languages there. And I actually was doing these handmade paper pulps from all these artists across the country using cotton rag and sisal grass. And I did tons of these portraits because I ran a livelihood grants program. So the people in these rural areas became so um, important to the art I was creating. Uh, but when we came to Japan, maybe part of it was quarantine, maybe part of it a different type of culture and just what I was doing because I shifted to art full time. But I kind of started focusing more on the green spaces and the gardens and these places that kind of became places to reset in this big city, which became a big part of that exhibition I just did this year. Mm, right. And you also have, you know, the, the among the jewelry you make, you have this beautiful theme of ginkgo leaves um, worked into metal and they're just very delicate and beautiful. And yeah, I'm curious to hear more about that, about the role of botanicals and green spaces in your inspiration in terms of how, what you make and how you make it. 
Yeah. So I, I kind of just talked a lot more about the fine art side, but metalsmithing has become a big part of what I create these days as well. And it's funny, some people know me from metalsmithing and don't realize I'm also a fine artist or vice versa. Um, so when I was in Zimbabwe, my designs were primarily around the Monsterelis, which were in all these gardens, including our own. Um, the cave paintings, which you can still go find on the rocks, these beautiful cave paintings when the Bushmen still were um, a big part of the um, ethnic groups there, which actually were pushed out later. And then I also had the balancing rocks, these huge boulders, just the way that the landscape has changed over the years. Um, and again, just a very iconic thing in, in Zimbabwe. So when we moved here, I kind of dropped those other two designs because they just didn't resonate with people here. The same as my art. That's the hard part, moving all the time, is I come to Japan and the stuff I created that was very Zimbabwe now doesn't resonate with people in Japan. Mm. Um, but I kept them on stairs because I find that people still keep them in pots on their balconies and so forth quite a bit. But the very first thing I recreated was the ginkgos. We have these beautiful ginkgo trees outside of our apartment. I loved seeing them change in those kind of first few months after we arrived. And also ginkgos are a symbol for Tokyo Metro. So it kind of just made sense that this was our new home. As well as they're a symbol of um, kind of that survival and stuff. They're considered a living fossil. They were one of the oldest trees we have on this planet. They were around with the dinosaurs. So it's a very interesting, interesting one to do. And I just like playing with the edges. So all of my ginkgo leaves are not really the classic ginkgo shape. I pick up leaves that I find very unique and interesting. And those are the ones I replicate. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed that they have a personality kind of. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so even the names are, you know, drip, grow, and it, it's kind of like what I feel like the leaves are doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so then, yeah. yeah, so other ones really quickly I brought in were the Sakura now, uh, cherry blossom for non-Japanese, um, Momiji, or again, maple for non-Japanese. Um, and then the newest one um, in that lineup is actually the Sunrise. So that one has the Fuji mountain in the middle with kind of this gold sunrise coming around it or a symbol mm -hmm. of the sunrise. Um, and that one was meant to be a limited edition for February, like I had previously done the year before. Then I actually just decided I really liked it and wanted to keep it. But that one's meant to be a symbol of kind of strength and continuing and so forth. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you incorporate a lot of variety into the the media you work in and you kind of just were touching on this. I'm curious how like nurturing that broad array of expression has impacted your your own identity as an artist. You know, you're mentioning metal smithing and but also fine art. And yeah, I'm curious about that piece. Like when I create something, how it reflects back into my own self. Yeah, or how how you feel about your own identity as an artist. And mm. yeah, it's it's funny because again, for the longest I know some people have trouble calling themselves an artist. Like uh -huh. they feel like they haven't claimed that title. And that's never been something for me. I think for me, um, if there's kind of a confidence struggle, it's kind of more of an issue of when I call myself an artist, this, you know, people kind of just think, oh, like hobby artists, like you just play and and I've had people that, you know, then they'll see my art and they go, oh, no, you're actually an artist. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and then even the same thing with my metalsmithing like as much as I love my metalsmithing sometimes it I don't know almost makes me sad that people don't realize that I do more than just the metal work Mm. see my stuff at a show and they're like they'll be like oh who makes it or wait do you make all of this like they just Mm. assume that maybe I'm just selling things for other folks because it's it's maybe two very different disciplines um and so forth but um yeah so I guess with the identity it's it is an expression of like I said like the eco concept has become a bigger thing and I'm learning I think maybe to just be more boisterous about who I am and what I want because I realized for a long time people didn't realize that the sustainable side was so so important to me in my art in my life and and then I'm like well I'm not educating people I'm not talking about that so I've become much more vocal about that and then the same thing with those disciplines and and the meanings behind them you know, sometimes people's eyes start to glaze over if I start talking about all this symbolism and meaning and, <laughs> and, you know, and then I know that that's not the audience to have a deep conversation. Right. With. Mm-hmm. But then right. other times when I see it hit so hard. So the show I did, um, Elements of Nature Between Skyscrapers, um, one of my friends, Rumi-san, who I met through yoga, when she came, she stepped into the gallery off the hot Ginza street and she goes, oh, she goes, it just feels like a beautiful, cool garden in here. And I said, yes, yes, that's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, that, mm-hmm. that feeling that I have when I step into these green spaces. And I, I say art's kind of about three things. It's about the inspiration. It's about the making process and the creating process. But then it's also about the sharing. And to me, it's not just the creative process, which people focus in on so much. Mm. Will you say more about that, about the sharing element and its importance for you? Yeah. um, So when it comes to the sharing element, I think part of it is, you know, we all start as artists. We all do art as children. Yes. Some Mm. kind of creative outlet. It is just a matter of the people like us (laughs) who get very stubborn and stuck on grandma saying you're an artist and say, no, I have to be an artist. I can't do anything else. Um. And I think other people, it's not that they can't do it. They just stop doing it. And then they're not, because they're not doing it, they lose confidence or forget how to look. It's about learning how to look and just pause. So even when I was talking to the curator about this concept of the green spaces in Tokyo, and I'm like, you know what I mean? And he literally just said, well, no. <laughs> and so then when I was starting to like, ex- in, you know, I said, well, maybe it's from an outside perspective, moving into Japan, moving into a much bigger city than I grew up with or have been in, in the last few years. But that was the idea is that I found that people were starting to like, realize that these, oh, no, there are these shrines and these gardens and stuff tucked away in Tokyo, that maybe they just haven't taken a moment to pause and mm-hmm. like just stop into them and kind of just take it in and just, again, maybe recenter a bit. So I think it's about maybe, in a way, it's about that awareness side, even with the recycled elements. Um, the installation plastic water drastically had to change because the plastic was not doing what I wanted it to do, which was so frustrating because it was about trying to find a new use for all this plastic I end up with, despite trying not to. And so even just having a platform to talk about and make people think about, I'm like, you know, I said, I held on to my plastic for a year and a half. 
and you know because we usually just send it off to the mm-hmm. to the recycling center which is a misnomer because a lot of that can't be recycled unfortunately and so just trying to even bring that consciousness to it but also bringing joy and and thought provoking so it's not just the thought provoking but it's the joy and the happiness as well that mm-hmm. um and encouraging people to to create and reflect and like I said, it's about learning to look. So if they just stop and learn how to look, even if they don't step into the creating side, if they just start with the inspiration, it's so good for our souls. Mm. Definitely. Yes. I'm interested, like with social media. So do you find it easy to share? Because you, that I first found you through your the jewelry that you made. Mm. Do you find it, how do you find it sharing all those different elements of what you do um, because you do do so much and you do, you know, listening to you now, you have so much to express. Um, Do you find you're able to do that through social media or are most of the people that you work with is more like in person? How do you navigate those in real life and social media to explain to people what you do? Because I'm really curious about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I have actually started putting my face in things a lot more and my voice. I I still remember. So I did. I was very excited for this podcast. Actually, I was really hoping to do one with you at some point. And I had done another one um, uh, I, about a year and a half ago. I did another interview. And I, I was very excited again for that opportunity. But I remember still being in Zimbabwe and a friend asking me, oh, a friend does some radio stuff if you'd be interested. I said, oh, I don't like the way my voice sounds recorded. <laughs> and or I, I always say to people, oh, I'm not photogenic. I have to take like 20 pictures because I have the German skull and and, you know, I'm trying to do these like selfies. And I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't do what I wanted. <laughs> so so by the time you put it on social media, like you don't see all the like awkwardness behind the yeah. scenes. But at the same time, I also think. I, I will also just sometimes do the just occasional just jump on and do a quick little video. And I always intend to do that more, but just kind of the honest chat type stuff. Mm. Um, or the one time I was taking a picture, I was literally like standing in a squat on top of my workbench taking a picture. And I was just like, this is so ridiculous. And my husband <laughs> run. I'm like, can you just like take a picture of me doing this? Because and I threw that in my stories because I just thought it was like so ridiculous, like the positions we put ourselves in to get the perfect shot. Mm. Um, and so that I've tried to be maybe more open with, cause I've realized that resonates more with people is seeing the person behind it. If I want yeah. people to not ghost me when they ask about something, you know, because I'm like a one person show, like understand mm-hmm. a person or, or be patient with me or understand like my pricing structure is very thought out, you know, again, that's about putting the face behind it and that there's a real person behind Mm. what I'm creating so Mm -hmm. that's like just something I've just slowly made myself more comfortable doing it here and there um social media is a beast I Mm. I have a love-hate relationship with it I have actually one thing I've done is every time I post something I hide the like count and I found that that is so good for my mental health yes (laughs) I can still open it and look at the like count later if I want to but just that I'm not like in a dead scroll seeing why did this one not get liked you know (laughs) and and I still I can't make heads or tails of the algorithm of 
well, why did this one have 2000 views and this one didn't? Like, did I do something Instagram didn't like so they didn't put this in front of people this time? <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gamble, isn't it? <laughs> oh, gosh. And so I, I, I am trying not to overthink things and just yeah. put it out there. And if it sticks, it sticks. Like as someone who follows you, I noticed like you more when you started to talk more about your art versus your jewelry there mm. was more of um you seem to be engaging more with the the viewer so to speak um when you were talking about your artwork um that you and the gallery the, your, your exhibitions and what have you and the new things you're experimenting with whereas previously I just thought of you as the lady who made the beautiful earrings <laughs> um which you know the both things are you know are true so um as a viewer definitely connected more when you were speaking directly to me so to speak about your work if that's some <laughs> anything ah. to, to help you with yeah, yeah no that's that's good to yeah. hear because yeah. that yes that it is important to do that uh, conversation I think mm. because that show had sat inside me for two years mm. and I felt the need to and and I think when I did that exhibition I was very mindful about kind of the social media look of it um, especially if there was someone who couldn't come, I wanted them to be able to try to experience it as mo like as best yeah. as possible without being able to physically come. Um, especially since I do have, you know, contacts from all these places we've lived outside of Japan mm. who definitely couldn't have made it. Yeah. Um, and that's just it. Again, like when I said about like talking about it more, is that's just it. Is if I'm only showing the jewelry, people don't know this other side of me. Mm. But yeah, maybe yeah. I need to kind of have more of those conversations you know and videos or, mm. or whatever about the jewelry uh, as well because they also are very meaningful and mm. so forth but I think I also go in waves I think you have both also talked about that you know like you have kind of these seasons so because I was doing this show all of my energies everything was all about the show and the jewelry just took a back burner yeah. but now that I'm kind of going into this season I'm like okay I'm finally going to do the the unisex necklace because people say I don't have anything for men okay mm -hmm. I'm going to try to roll out this new thing with the gold ginkgos and you know that kind of thing so I think maybe that's just it too is maybe I go in season so maybe unfortunately my profile gets overwhelmed with one versus the other during certain <laughs> yeah, blocks of that's, time that's all part of your story as well isn't it so yeah, yeah. and you're so prolific Melissa you know mm. you make things oh. and you have such a variety of things which I think is amazing and I think for many people uh it can be hard when they feel like oh I can't pigeonhole you easily you know, I can't just decide, oh, you're an, you're a jewelry maker. Oh, you're this, you're that, you know, you are not pigeonholeable. <laughs> and mm. I think that's an amazing thing. And um, I, it, it's something that I think many of us who are multifaceted or who are multi-passionate can really relate to, you know, like, yes. how do I, how do I express my love for all of these things at the same time without favoring one or the other? And it's kind of impossible, right? So what happens is, yeah, we go in these seasons and at this moment, it's this and in the next moment, it's that. And that's, that's cool too. And people will eventually cotton on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. And I have been advised to separate my Instagram account and have one only for the jewelry and only for the fine art. But I I felt like I have enough energy, like, you know, 
constraints that like doing it just as one account I don't want to that I have to like mindfully keep up on and I feel like if someone is following me because they're interested in the metal work only then they don't you know if they are troubled that I'm adding too much fine art then then again I'm not the right person for them to follow Mm. or vice versa but also that whole thing of like where to focus your energies and stuff because after taking this course with um a um she was a college mate of mine who's become very successful is a surface pattern designer and she's like i think 12 employees now and she's an educator and she's designed stuff for some really big companies but so then i thought like oh i need to start going down surface pattern and then i, I started going down surface pattern I realized the type of art I was making didn't translate to surface pattern very well. So then I had to make a different kind of art. And I just remember having a conversation with my sister a couple of years ago. I said, I feel like I'm stretched in three ways and I'm not doing any of them well because mm-hmm. I'm trying to do all three. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, which one brings you the most joy? Which one are you the most passionate about? I said, fine art, hands down, the fine art. And I said, and the metalsmithing is a close second, especially one of the advantages of the metal smithing is there are points where it's just the polishing, the buffing and the mundane. And uh-huh. the good thing about that is when I just don't want to put a lot of maybe thought into it, I can just be monotonous and just do it. I have my audiobook on and I'm just you know buffing away, polishing away and I don't have to put a lot of thought into it at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's meditative. It becomes meditative. It really can be. My favorite um, I have weird little tasks that are my favorites. And one is with the ginkgo jewelry, drawing the lines before I um, engrave them. Um, Doing those lines is so meditative. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of that, what's a project that is lighting you up right now? Like what's something that's exciting you at this exact moment? So one thing that's been lighting me up is this sounds kind of broad, but it's the serializing concept. So when I did, um, for instance, plastic water, these um, molded taiyaki fish out of recycled paper pulp, and then putting them in the plastic droplets, there was something, we, we were just talking about that meditative concept. And there was something very meditative about that fish and that gradation that making the very gradual changes, but that serialized repeating. Nice. Um And a lot of the pieces in the exhibition were like that. So for instance, the tiles um, that I did for um, the roof of earth and water, where it had the koi and the toads and the water lilies, it was the same approach, but each tile was a little bit different. And the way that those were designed is that you could take one tile out and it could be its own thing, or they could be all put together as an installation. And there's something I've really started leaning into serializing. Like I know I've had people um, over the years as other artists talk about like, oh, they struggle to make a series. And how do you do that? Because they just feel so maybe stretched in a different directions. But I feel like sometimes you'll just reach that point where you're so interested and so passionate about something you just want to explore in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, one of those. So like I said, the tiles, that plastic water. Um, and, or even I had picked up, um, it was actually some bark that sloughed off the trees on the street. My husband calls me gummy child. Cause I just randomly pick stuff up while we're walking. 
<laughs> and uh, sorry, Gomi, Gomi is garbage for non-Japanese. <laughs> I'm not great at Japanese, but I realize I just throw Japanese on random things that just seem to be a better fit. Um, so anyways, but there's also what I love about that serializing because I'm using recycled materials, the restraint. And I found the restraint in that also really, really important and kind of exciting. So when I was doing, for instance, the roof tiles and I'm like, it's 14, it's going to be four. I, or I had 15 techniques. So I was like, it's 14 big, but I wanted one as a sample as a standalone. It's a perfect, this is the right number. It is just what it is. It's what I got from this company that is a contract company that had tore down this roof. Um, and the same thing with those bark pieces. I, I like kind of looked at all the bark and the arrangements when I got home and I'm like, this is how many I'm making and this yeah. will have the bridges. So this is how many bridges I can decide are the most important bridges in Tokyo when I do this bark project. So there's mm -hmm. something exciting about that serializing and exploring, but also having a restraint. Mm -hmm. uh, or even I'm, I finally decided to do an ornament this year. So I'm going to do um, a ginkgo ornament and I have these dishes that I thought had copper at the core like silver and copper for the maple leaves and I cut one open and I was like oh that's not copper those are brass inside oh. <laughs> which is more of a goldish color than kind of the warm reddish color um, for folks right. who know the difference between those two and so I kind of stuck it aside for a while. And so then when I was trying to figure out what I could use for these ornaments to have the gold ginkgo theme I wanted, but also keep a price point that people would be um, available and willing to pay for an ornament versus a piece of jewelry, I realized I'm like going through and I have these dishes and how I could cut them. And I'm like, oh, I can only do 12. And I was like, 12 days of Christmas. It was meant to be. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. <laughs> So, Melissa, just to finish off our last question, um, can you talk a little bit about what you do when you find yourself outside of your usual creative flow? Like, are there any things that you do that help you get back on track? Yeah, I thought this was such a good one because I think we all struggle with it. And even yes. people who say they don't, they're just not being honest. Exactly, very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first thing is, and again, some of this is ideal and some of this is what actually happens. But one is the first thing I do is ask why. Mm. Because the understanding the why, is it because I'm allowing Instagram beast to distract me? Yeah. Or is it because the project I should be doing because I have a deadline, it's just not, my mind is actually on a different project, but I feel like I can't do that project because I have to do this one first. Mm -hmm. Or is the why because, well, actually I thought I want, but if I actually, again, just pause and think about it, I don't have the right tool to do what I want to do. Mm. Or I really should go do more sketching to understand what I want to create first. So the first thing I think is just ask why, because sometimes there's very different reasons why we're feeling that like stuckness and we can't get into the creative flow. Yeah. So if it's like a feel for the pressure commitment, um, you know, sometimes I do kind of, and I, I love it. I just listened to one of your, uh, 
chats about this from a question from a viewer of the idea of like giving yourself permission to do that little side project and then come back. Yes, yeah. And and so I did that the other day. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to get these earrings done for this client. But I kept thinking about these ginkgo ornaments. <laughs> and finally, I just stopped and gave myself 30 minutes to pull these dishes out and doodle. And, and then like, I'm like, oh, I solved it. And I could put it aside and refocus. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the other thing, or even um, if it's like cleaning and future projects, like sometimes, again, I find stopping to clean is a good thing because it lets my mind feel like open and clean and organized mm -hmm. again. And mm -hmm. so sometimes it's like letting yourself do those things and then pausing. Um, or even again, just asking, do I actually like want to do this? And, yes. you know, it, I'm really leaning into what I want to do and only doing things I want to do. So for instance, I had, um, an invite to an event I've done the last two years and the event changed a bit this year and, um, and primarily because of those changes, but also because I'm doing this yoga teacher training and it was literally going to be the day after 10 days straight of this intensive training. I'm like, I actually don't want to do that event. I know I feel like I should. I feel like people expect me to do it, but I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that it really, what you're saying now taps into a thread that you pulled at the very beginning of your answer to this question, which is like, how honest are we being with ourselves? <laughs> you know, like mm. when, when we're really honest with ourselves about how we actually feel about something instead of how we think we should feel, and what we think we should do, <laughs> very often we discover uh, super helpful information that's there for us. Absolutely. Um, I still am constantly to creatives and non-creatives. Um, there's a podcast called The Savvy Painter, and she's lovely as well, just as you are, guys. I, I, <laughs> I love kind of grabbing little bits from all these different podcasts and these views and these very encouraging things. But I still, one that resonates with me is her talking about protecting studio time and when to say no to things when people mm. are like, you know, they know you have a more flexible schedule. And what it came down to is the why. Mm. Are you doing something for somebody because you feel guilty and you feel like you will be judged if you don't help them? Are right. you doing it because you generally like at that moment, like, no, I really want to be there for that person. And asking that why and your motive and being honest with yourself will help decide if you should be doing something or not. Yes, it's so important. And it's something that I think we don't necessarily think about so explicitly in that way, but it really is vital to us as creative people to, to get to that place of honesty with ourselves and being able to move from that place if we really want to do the work we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today, Melissa. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It has been very lovely. Yeah. I always feel like there's a million things we could continue to chat I about, know. but we have to <laughs> cut it somewhere. And I think this was such a great spot. Yeah. You can go for hours. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we mentioned Instagram a bit. Will you tell um, the listeners where they can find you online? Uh, yeah, so I, I maintain a website is, and also most of my social media is directed at Instagram and sharing that to, to Facebook. So my name is Melissa Finkenbeiner. I know Finkenbeiner is a mouthful, um, but it, it's spelt exactly the way it sounds. 
Um, and if you just even Google it, it will all pop up. I'll put the um, I'll put some links as well in in the bio, so you can pop over there and have a look and check out Melissa's beautiful work. Please do. Yes. She makes beautiful, beautiful work and very interesting and very um, thought provoking as well. So thank yeah. you, Melissa. Thank you. And now we'll move into our Ask Us Anything segment. And today's question, Jordana, comes from, oh, it's anonymous. It's an anonymous question. Okay. That's asking us, what are your favorite Japanese art supplies? I love this question. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it, I, me too. There's because, too many. There's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, where to start? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Do you have off the top of yeah, your head yeah okay I think my favorite at the moment in terms of art supplies are the um Turner acrylic gouache Ooh. that I've just started using I always just used to use just pure gouache paints mm -hmm. um because I like the matte quality of them like regular acrylic has a, a slight sheen to it but the yeah. acrylic gouache is matte but it doesn't blend once it's dried so it gives you more flexibility with layering so right. I think at the moment yeah the Turner acrylic gouache um, mm. paints are something I'm loving um, and it's really interesting how like so many paint companies I never even realized were Japanese and I'm like oh this is actually a Japanese yeah. company okay um that yeah 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 it's a oh, that's cool. so, yeah. yeah so i mean to those at the moment if i had to pick a favorite mm -hmm. for now okay yeah. how about you oh i have so many <laughs> it's a little embarrassing <laughs> your favorite right now i think we asked we should just start what's your favorite right now well so i've been really into collage lately as you know yeah. and um i've been using this paper washi you know washi japanese paper um from a company called awagami okay and awagami makes these beautiful oh my gosh absolutely beautiful um colors of washi paper and different textures different consistencies different like just a whole huge spectrum of gorgeous gorgeous papers and they do all kinds of different like some of them look kind of tie-dyed some of them have um threads woven in just really beautiful colors and shapes from awagami and i also really love um for the same thing because in my collage work i really like to use um you know like watercolor uh markers with the brush tip you know oh yes yeah I really love tombo for those like tombo for those who might not know means uh, dragonfly in Japanese. And those are so beautiful and really high quality, quality colors as well. Mm -hmm. um, but there's another set that I have here. Sorry, I'm going to get it. Hang on one second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the name of this one. This is, Oh, it's just called Zig. Oh, Zig green color. Um, and I like these a lot as well. These are, um, they have a huge variety of colors and they don't have two tips on the pen. There's just the one tip, but okay. uh, the quality of the colors is really high and the, the tips are great as well. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And then, sorry, I'm just going to keep going on until you stop. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There is our beloved Posca. I was just about to say, you know, Posca's, you know. Will you say more about Poscas? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Poscas, they're just, they're, you can just use them in so many ways, can't you? Like, mm-hmm. you can use it, use them only, and just that's, you can just use just those colors with the different, you know, different thickness of the the nibs um, for your artwork. Or you can use them to put details on top of stuff you've already done. Um, yes. Yeah, for me, I love to when I finish my artwork to go in with the Posca and add details mm-hmm. and um, that maybe it's a bit more difficult to do with a paintbrush. Um, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like, yeah. oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I like the thinner ones and not the primary yeah. color ones personally. I like the, you can sometimes find on Amazon or like, or specialist art shops more, um, more delicate colors shall we say colors that are a bit yes yeah yes I I I totally agree absolutely and I do I like the fine point ones as well for those who might not know Posca Posca pens are um what kind of paint is this it's a mixture I'm looking at one right now it's a mixture of um different types of paint and some ink Mm. Uh, and it's got a kind of it is it usually dries in a matte sort of way it's not shiny um but it's a thicker paint. It's not a watercolor situation mm. um, for those who might not know. And those pens, Posca, P-O-S-C-A, are amazing. They are. I think the pos is supposed to be like poster, like a poster. Oh. <laughs> I think that's a Japanese way of, you know, Usually. shortening. It's two words mixed <laughs> together, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the Which, ka is. Yeah, ka, posca, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a poster marker. Oh. I that's what yeah, that's probably what it is, isn't it? what it says it says posta karamaka this is the japanese way of adorably making these little <laughs> new names for yeah. things so yeah those are those are amazing as well i honestly though our season one guest lauren um she told me that she just wishes she had bought so many more art supplies while she was in Japan before she moved to the UK because <laughs> she misses the Japanese the art shops here so much. Mm. And so I do want to say to people, if you're ever here, if you're ever visiting Japan, please do avail yourself of yes. the many amazing because it's not just the art supplies too; it's the stationery, yeah, the washi tapes, the like. You could bring a whole suitcase. You, you really it. could. You really could. And the pens, not- all the different types of pens, erasable pens, fine liner mm-hmm. pens, and just the I quality. It. I think the quality of your everyday pen yes. is just really nice here. If you're a stationary geek like we both are, <laughs> the right pen on the right paper is just a dream. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And it does not get better than Japan made. I believe, it doesn't. I believe so yeah Mm. it's it's truly remarkable and not to mention notebooks like the notebooks are also amazing when you go I mean just if you do come to Japan or if you're in Japan now please enjoy (laughs) the bounty that we have available and I mean there's so many things also available online too uh that you can order in that awagami paper that I mentioned uh you can order online Posca pens are available all over the world 
um, Tombo too. So yeah, if you are interested, if you'd like to play with Japanese art supplies, these are some of the ones we love. Mm. And if you want to share, because I'm always looking for new new stuff. Well, I'm not yeah. trying to because I was trying to save some money, but I love to hear about <laughs> new new stuff. Please um, either leave a leave a comment on Instagram or a comment um, in our podcast this yes. section for questions um and just let us know what your favorite japanese stationery is if it's masking tape or paints or pens or paper or whatever i'd love to we'd know love to hear. Yeah. yes we'd love to hear and if you have a question that you'd like to ask for us to answer on a future podcast episode you can do that in the same way leaving a comment on instagram dming us on instagram you can also email us at the creativity cafe 21 at gmail.com or leave a comment on the podcast. Yes, please. Thanks, everyone. If you like the Creativity Cafe podcast, please subscribe and share it with other people who you think might like it too. Subscribing means that you never miss an episode, which means that we get to share all of these delightful conversations with you, knowing you'll get to hear every single one. You can subscribe by going to the show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and then just tapping on the plus sign or clicking on follow. It really helps the pod for you to do that. While you're there, if you'd be willing to leave us a rating and a review, we would love to have that too. We love to read what you think and hear your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings about the Creativity Cafe podcast. So please do go and leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everyone.